This is KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM and I am truly delighted today to welcome a young man who has been doing amazing things towards making the world a better place, specifically in the Bay Area. And as a proud Arab American, I would, I am delighted to welcome Abdel Rahim Harara into the studio. Ahlan wa sahlan, Abdel Rahim. Ahlan wa sahlan. Thank you so much, Dr. Ramsey. I have heard so much about you, Abdel Rahim, from Stanford students, from people uh, that are involved in uh, various venues here at, in the Bay Area about your uh, well, contributions to the Arab American community. Yeah, you know, we have to, uh, we have to really make a dent and uh, make some really good progress within our communities, work together on the grassroots level and, you know, try to impact for change, you know, inshallah. So we got to persevere. We have to be resilient. We got to keep moving forward. Let's start at the beginning, Abdelrahman. Now, you were born in America. Yeah, yeah. I was born in uh, San Francisco, California. Um, I've been here uh, most of my life. So my, uh, my dad's full Palestinian. My mom is half Palestinian, half North African from Egypt. And, and so they, uh, they met and, uh, and had you here in, in America. Yes, yes, uh, as well as seven other kids. Wow, are you serious? You have yeah. seven, um, that is so nice. Well, yeah. the Harara family uh, yeah. is, uh, is alive and well, alhamdulillah. alhamdulillah. And uh, among those seven, uh, you are the one that decided to maybe embark upon a, a career in art. Perhaps. Yes, I'm actually the only one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like what you would call uh, the black sheep. Um, a lot of my uh, my sisters and my brothers, they, uh, mashallah, they're very intelligent and they all have technical degrees. Not to say that I'm not intelligent, but <laughs> I kind of went on the more difficult route, the one that has more uh, uphill than, you know, than uh, flat ground and downhill. So You strike me as that kind of guy who uh, <laughs> doesn't mind the obstacles because they, you know that they will lead to somewhere someday, inshallah. Yes, yes, inshallah. And so one of the uh, things that I've heard about you and I've been prepping for this interview for a while is your amazing work uh, in terms of acting, mm-hmm. in terms of the theater. Can you share some of that with our listeners? Yeah, of course. So uh, ultimately, uh, I did want to embark on a very more, on a, on a much more technical degree in something in like politics or like history, uh, something that I can uh, like use as a, as, as, a, as a medium to enact change within my community. However, after decades of watching other people fail, I ultimately decided that maybe that wasn't the best route to go through. So I, uh, um, acting, which was a huge passion and a huge passion of mine, I decided to uh, actually apply that and um, channel it and study it and see if I can pursue um, acting as my career and as my medium in order to enact change. So that's how I ultimately got into uh you know, doing art activism. Um, I've been acting ever since I was in elementary school. Art in itself, it's very political, and it's, and it's very active, it's very engaging. Sure. And I think uh, we kind of take a back seat and we disengage when we watch a movie or when we watch a painting, like see a painting, not watch one, but like look at a painting or, or read a poem or read a book. We're very disengaged, it's more for leisure, but really art is a very powerful tool to engage people and, you know, and to enact change, you know, very like beautiful authors like Franz Fanon that wrote about uh, cognitive dissonance and he impacted his own people. And then we see people like today in today's world, we see my, 
like Lauren Hill or we see very powerful um, singers or rappers or actors that actually take their message and they want to engage the public with mm -hmm, it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We should tell our listeners that well, you're, you're 24 years old. Yes, 24. Because I think when they hear you over the radio, they're going to think you are some seasoned uh, <laughs> professor <laughs> no, uh, who's I wish, had decades I worth because you speak so beautifully, Habibi. Oh, and, thank you so much. And in fact, you represent, at least to me, uh, the new generation of uh, Arab Americans who, though not born over there, keep the connection going. Uh, which leads me to my next question, Abdelrahim, because you know that we're living in a time where there is a systematic demonization of Arabs in general, of Muslims. How much of that has been uh, problematic for you, uh, having grown up in America? It's been very difficult. I, uh, I've actually, uh, I remember during uh, September 11th, I was in the fifth grade, and now I'm 24, and it's been almost 15 years, you can say, and ever since September 11th has happened, there has not been a year that has gone by where someone did not ask me, is Islam a violent religion? Mm. I've been asked that question at least once a year. And how, how do you respond? Ultimately, in the, in the beginning, I, I, I am willing to engage. Like a lot of people don't know that as a Muslim, people have rights over me. My neighbors have rights over me. Mm. Um, Non-Muslims have rights over me. You know, just as your duty as a human citizen. So ultimately, I try to bring awareness to these issues. But after years and years and years of talking about this, you get to a point of frustration where it's very difficult to elaborate on something that you've been talking about for so many years. It's almost like, okay, okay, now let me explain to you why we're not violent. Let me explain to you A, B, and C. And then it's the same explanation over and over and over again. And that's not even including the, the rights of Palestinians. That's only talking about Muslims in, in general, not talking about people from Afghanistan, Iraqi Muslims, or Pakistani Muslims, or any other oppression that Muslims might be going through. So it gets very tiresome yeah. after a while, but ultimately what I reached, I reached this point where I said, instead of trying to talk to people about it and preach and, and use like politics and say, oh, history, this, A, B, and C, read this book, I decided to boil all those together and through art, send a message to people mm. that allows them to sit back quietly and watch or read and then they come to their own conclusion and they realize why Islam is not a violent religion etc 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 and in your case through theater because yeah. you've been involved with Golden Thread Productions oh I yeah Man. Can, you, can you tell us a little yeah bit big it? shout out to yeah. Taranj and uh, Everin and the entire staff at Golden Thread and big Taranj to Farah um, who actually uh, put us in touch together and I uh, was recently in the Golden Thread Festival uh, the Reorient Festival and in uh, in that festival, I played about, I want to say I was in three plays out of eight, and uh, basically what they they encompassed what it was to uh, to be a Middle Eastern person living in America or a Middle Eastern person living um, overseas back home. Uh, the plays that I were in specifically um, was Counting Al Shab by uh, Emma Goldman Sherman. I was also in uh, Lost Kingdom by Hassan Abdul Razak, and I was in Ceasefire by Ken Kazar. All at the same time. Yeah, all at the same time. <laughs> so and there was two series, series A and series B. I believe that series A, if I recall correctly, included Counting and Shab, and that was written by Emma, and it was about an Iraqi, uh, an Iraqi boy that had just uh, witnessed a car bomb happen. Right. And uh, but were you the boy? Yes, I was. I was the young man, and he was trying to uh, recollect 
his uh, his thoughts and recollect his actions and what he was doing and 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 there were some steps that he would go through that were very 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 normal for an Iraqi young man mm. that aren't normal to an American. For instance, he would count the bodies. Wow. For instance. Wow. Yeah, and it's it's in the title, Counting and Shab, and Counting the Bodies was constantly uh, repeated throughout the play by myself, mm. by the shop owner, by, uh, by a mother who walks in, a mother of like four or five, by my friend who walks in as well. Mm. They repeatedly said, count the bodies, are you counting the bodies? And I think, unfortunately, what has happened in Iraq has become very, very normal, that we have become desensitized to it. Yeah. So we don't understand what they say, count the bodies. Why are they counting? I think over here in, in Western culture or in, in America, for instance, they count uh, to let the public know but in Iraq or Afghanistan in these more rural areas they don't count to let the public know they they count to honor these people that have that have died i think that that very core piece of the play was was such it meant a lot to me it was very strong because you know the struggle that i go through as a palestinian is hand in hand with the struggle of an Iraqi citizen or of an Afghani citizen. so How much must it take of you to get into character, to research the background, and to actually switch into three different characters, apparently, since yeah. these three pieces were uh, being uh, played uh, well together? When it comes to, uh, um, you know, like background and, and learning about my character, a lot of this that would be throughout the text. It's uh, almost like reading between the lines, finding certain nuances that your character goes through. And what really helped me is um, understanding what war was uh, for someone back home. Having access to those feelings and having access to that environment um, via WhatsApp. Hmm, yeah. um, I, I would see my cousins would send me pictures on WhatsApp and we would have conversations with my family via WhatsApp and Facebook as well and seeing the rubble and the carnage and having access to, uh, to these visuals and to these imagery and to the, to the words and to the audio really put me in a place that when I had to come on stage and play someone, play someone that was just hit by a car bomb, everything felt so natural to me. Mm. It's kind of like a double-edged sword. It's, it's, it's a blessing and it's also a curse because it's really sad that someone who's 24 years old has access to all this pain and suffering. And you would have to think how sad it is for the people back there to, to live through this. It's become normal. Like over here, 14 people dead in San Bernardino. God rest their soul. This is not normal for us. Over there, if 14 people died, they're like, oh my, only 14? <laughs> you know, like yeah. not, not 50, not, not 20. Right. You know, it's... And it's become a point where war has become a part of their daily life. So it's very easy for that to translate on stage when I had to play an Iraqi uh, character because the Iraqi character, war is a part of his life now, mm. unfortunately. you right. know. What about the other characters? The, others, uh, the other two characters, um, I played a Lebanese soldier in wow. Ceasefire. Ceasefire was an interesting play. It was about the, the ceasefire between Lebanon and Israel, and I believe in 2006, where... Um, 
there's a there's a soldier on on one side of the border. There's a fence. We talk about not crossing the fence. Interestingly enough, the the play tried to bring humor to a very non-humorous situation, and I think in some ways the play succeeded. It made something that's very difficult to talk about easy to talk about. But at the same time, I feel like the play did not address the power dynamic between the, the inequity here. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. So you want to create dialogue. If you want to create dialogue, you need equal space. You need a you you need to have um you know equal communication through through both sides ultimately right. yeah right. so abdelrahim you got us uh, uh, very curious about the third role <laughs> oh the third wow the third the third role i played an american soldier i played an american soldier who was uh, part of the questioning team of saddam hussein when saddam hussein was captured by the united states army this is part of a play yeah uh, this is part of a play it's yeah. called lost kingdom it was by hassan abdul razak and it was directed by the great michael french michael french is an amazing director an amazing actor who uh, is uh, has a company um called illuminous with uh, and it's in residence at flight deck in oakland wow. i really uh, recommend that you guys check them out lost kingdom it, it was a very sad story even though my my part was very small but this play um impacted me a lot it showed the the capture of saddam hussein uh, we kind of the interrogation of saddam hussein and and after and the man and the dictator He was questioned by a man named George Pirro. George Pirro was an Assyrian man. He was working at the FBI field office in Miami, I believe. And when they captured Saddam Hussein, they're like, they called this guy up. They're like, hey, man, we need you to talk to this guy, Saddam Hussein. You know, you're similar. You guys are people of the same, even though Assyrians and Iraqis are not similar whatsoever. But, you know, same kind of demographic, you know, general demographic. Um, so he comes up to Washington from Miami. And he faces this identity crisis. Am I an Arab or am I an American? That was one struggle. An another struggle that was in the play was the relationship between Saddam Hussein and his daughter. Um, his daughter that was very, very afraid for what her father was going through. But what really hit me the most is how this, this invasion could have slightly been avoided and how... Now, with the emergence of ISIS and all these, you know, terrorist groups that have hijacked the uh, religion, have come from this invasion. Mm. So, Iraq, it's still bleeding. There's now even more corrupt and more evil people in power. It's almost as if nothing was solved. And so you have, and now more people dying because more horrible people are in power. My guest is uh, Abdelrahim Harara here in the studio. I wanted to leave the last part of our interview here to have you talk a little bit about your upcoming projects. What hundred and one things are you planning next? <laughs> <laughs> well, I I'm I'm currently... Uh, producing a podcast. Any topic that you want to focus yeah, um, on? Definitely uh, art, because um, that's my passion. Art, uh, art, politics, and in general, uh, social life of not only Palestinians or Muslims, but just general uh, humanity. You know, I want to cover things that people actually have an interest to listening to, something to engage mm -hmm. the the youth, uh, poetry, storytelling. Because um, you also write, don't yes, you? You yes. don't just act. Yes, yeah. I'm, I'm currently writing a, a few sketches. Uh, currently, we're going to produce them. Uh, shout out to uh, Charles Baker down in Los Angeles, who's really uh, aiding me in my uh, in my trek to, uh, you know, build a solid 
a very, very solid resume. Love that. And uh, Abdelrahim, for those people listening in the Bay Area, whether through the live show or the podcast, uh, do you welcome people getting in touch with you? Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, you want to connect with me on Twitter? It's uh, A A Rahim R A H I M and H. I'm, I'm on Facebook, Abdelrahim Harara. Um, I'm currently going to be producing a lot more things, so um, building a website uh, currently will be up momentarily. Abdelrahim Harara, it has been a pleasure yes. right here. KZSU Stanford, 90.1 FM.